every time I do a presentation, I look out at the faces of all the docs and team members out there, and nothing concerns me more than when I start talking about direct operating costs and profitability within our practices with the procedures we do, and I, I see that sudden light turn on of shock and horror and and, and that look of, oh my gosh, I'm working my guts out, and no wonder, no wonder I'm not making any money, because Rob just explained why right here, and then they get that look on their face, I've got to do something about it. We begin our podcast right there. Computers are live, mixers up, levels are good, equalizers good, ready channels one and two. Mike is live in three, two, one, roll it. Welcome listeners to the My Practice My Business podcast, where we teach dentists and their teams how to reclaim forgotten profitability in dentistry with our clinical business of dentistry training. And now, the host of our show, the clinical director at My Practice My Business, Dr. Rob Thorup. Hello, my friends. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Uh, Tracy and I just got back from uh, uh, eastern Washington, where we were able to do a do a presentation there at a major event that's put on by a couple of the oral surgeons uh, there in the Lewiston-Clarkston uh, region of eastern Washington and western Idaho, I guess I could say. And we were asked to uh, uh, come up there and, and present uh, the, the intro uh, to the clinical business of dentistry uh, training. And we had a lot of fun being up there. And what I do. I just want to talk about that for a quick second, because these oral surgeons—they are the only oral surgeons in the in the whole region—and they're probably hating me for saying that because now twenty oral surgeons will pop up in that area. But what really amazed me is a lot of times uh, specialists will put on will put on events uh, in hopes to get more GPs referring to them, and that's that's an awesome thing that uh, specialists will do for the GPs, but these two guys had nothing, uh, they had no reason to, to do, to do a major event like this. And apparently they do it every year. And the, and, and because they already kind of had a corner on the area, uh, that told me that these two oral surgeons actually care about the GPs that they serve. And they do it out of the love for their referring base and the love for the general dentists and everybody in the area. And because putting on an event like that isn't always a lot of fun, uh, putting it all together after it's done, then you, you're like, oh, all right, great. We, we just completed another event. It takes a lot of work to put on major events like that. And you can tell that they do it because they care, and might and, and I salute them for doing that. Um, what a great group of of dental practitioners, healthcare people that were up there. I I just loved it. The whole feel of everything, uh, the feel of the people, the their hearts, their minds, their their thought leadership. It was brilliant, and we had Tracy and I had a great time uh, being up there and 
literally rubbing shoulders with just some great people in the dental profession. So I just want to say thank you for having us up there and hope maybe next year or, or years to come that we can come up and help in any way we can in presenting uh, the clinical business of dentistry and business truths and things that we have to deal with all the time in our profession on a business level and an insurance level. Um, one of the things that I get to enjoy doing, though, is looking over the, the audience that's there. Every time I present, I get to look at the faces, and I get to look at, at the eyes bug out when I start talking about uh, case acceptance, meaning uh, are you profitable on it or not? Because people, case acceptance means nothing if you're not profitable. In the last several months, I've seen a lot of advertising from dental entities on, on social media and email blasts with training on, on how to increase case acceptance in our dental practices. Imagine, imagine that being told by myriads of dental consultants and trainers that increasing case acceptance is the key to increased revenue. I think, you know, I, I asked, did they mean increased profitability? instead of increased revenue? The term revenue actually refers to the company's top line or gross sales. It has nothing to do with your actual practice profits. So just because you increase practice revenue, that does not necessarily mean that that you take home a bigger paycheck, Doc, or that you have money to uh, share with your team in the form of bonuses and raises. No, you guys can end up working your guts out and not have increased profitability. The real problem facing dentistry isn't increased gross revenue. The real problem is actually net revenue. You can have all the increase in case acceptance you could possibly handle, but if you're not profitable with each of the procedures that you complete, you're going to quickly realize what so many dental practices experience, and that is the ability to work your guts out and see very little increase in your net revenue, or more specifically, not much of an increase in your paycheck there, docs. <laughs> every, time, every time I do this presentation or any presentation across the country on the clinical business of dentistry, and that's what we title our training, The Clinical Business of Dentistry. Go to our website uh, if, if you want more information on that. I go into the direct operating costs of the average dental practice. It, it always becomes a shocker on the faces of those attending as we calculate the direct operating costs and then take a closer look at the actual profitability of many procedures. Uh, when I hit these slides and I, I have them Look and start thinking about their DOC per hour, direct operating cost per hour, and start looking at their COG or cost of goods. It's amazing when they start scratching their heads. I see them turn to their office managers that are with them. I see notes being written down. I see like, we've never looked at this before. <laughs> we need to look at this. So just for fun, while you're you know, hopefully while you're driving, you won't, uh, don't crash into anybody, okay? If you're listening to this podcast or, or you know, if you're home or in your office, don't, you know, it, this is a good, uh, a good exercise to do. Um, but if you're driving, just kind of do it in your head, but pay attention to the road, okay? So let's calculate your direct operating costs of your practice. This is a, a very simple number to figure out. Most of you use accounting software such as QuickBooks to run your 
your accounting side of your practices. I don't even know of any other system other out there other than QuickBooks uh, because I've just used it forever. Um, but I'm sure there's other ones out there. But take a look at the last three months of all your expenses, and I do mean all of them. Like add them up and, and see what you've, you've expensed out each month for three months, okay? Then take and divide by three. Uh, that will give you an average monthly expense. You can, you can also do this over an entire year and divide by 12 if you want to have even more accuracy. I like to look at mine on a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis, though, and, and adjust you know, accordingly. I, I like to look at my DOC. As a matter of fact, I actually use a spreadsheet, and I get an average DOC as I go along throughout the year. And I look at my DOC each month. And that's something that we teach and train on. And that's something you should do. But I find the last three to be sufficient enough. Now, take that monthly number of whatever that, that average, what your, what your average is that, that you spend every month to just keep the lights on and pay the bills and pay the salaries. It has to include everything. Everything. Okay. Now take that monthly number and divide it by the the average number of hours you worked each month over the last three months. And if you figure that you've got, you know, if you're working 40 hours a week, then you divide that number by 160. I don't know very many docs out there working 40 hours a week, but if you're one of them, anyway, and then uh, divide that, uh, divide that number into that monthly number. And that will give you your average direct operating cost per, per hour. Most practices see, or, or I should say per month, sorry, well, per hour each month. Most practices see the numbers between $350 per hour for small practices in areas of, of low cost of living indexes. All the way up to, we've seen numbers um, with our clients, you know, $1,400 per hour or more for larger practices in areas of the country with higher costs of living, um, that number is mission critical for you to look at. Now imagine your, let's, let's just say your direct operating costs or your DOC uh, per hour is $550, okay? That's to run all your operations in your practice per hour, you're averaging $550 per hour. You have to ask yourself the golden question after you've figured out your DOC per hour. And that question is, is what procedures are you profitable on? This is where it becomes a scary exercise that all of us have to do with our practices. Um, I also like to call that uh, my burn rate. You know, what is my burn rate per hour? And, and ours, uh, in our practice, we're, we're at 485 per hour. So 550 um, in many of the, the intermountain states and, and rural areas of, uh, of like Washington, that's a typical burn rate that we see. If you move over into bigger areas, uh, you know, Seattle, Vegas, uh, um, Phoenix, L.A., uh, San Francisco, Portland, Denver, you're going to see that hourly rate increase uh, uh, significantly. So... Suppose you have a patient who needs three two-surface posterior composite fillings due to their lack of flossing, okay? They've got interproximal decay, and, and this will this is your typical patient, you know, whether it's one, two, or three. 
work with me on this, this, this exercise. The average doc will schedule that patient that needs those three fillings for about an hour. In my practice, if somebody needs a filling, I, I schedule per fillings 30 minutes. You know, I'll let them go 10, 15 minutes to get numb. Then I'll go do the filling. And each additional filling we add 15 minutes to. So that's a, for me, I'm not Superman. I like to go slow, take my time. And uh, that's going to be a one-hour appointment for three fillings, right? So that now suppose your patient has dental insurance. And the reimbursement rate per filling on a two-surface posterior composite is $170. Now, I know all of you in states like Utah and other areas are laughing at that high reimbursement rate. Every time I train up in in other in the Northwest or other areas and I see the reimbursement rate like kill our reimbursement rate here in Utah, just like Ugh, makes me cringe. So you're probably laughing at that, but yeah, sorry, Utah, believe it or not, uh, other states, surrounding states around us are getting way more uh, on that uh, on that filling than what we get. You're probably either crying or dancing. If your PPO reimbursement rates are even close to that high number, right? And some of you are even higher, higher in other parts of the country than 170. But let's just take a 170 per filling, and you do three of them. That is a grand total of $510 of total income for your hard work in that hour. You know, that hour where your direct operating costs, we've just determined, is $550 per hour. You're upside down, Doc, by 40 bucks, if that's your scenario. And that's a good scenario. Most of the docs, when we start looking at that DOC per hour, they're way more upside down. I sure hope the hygiene uh, patient didn't no-show that day because without hygiene, you're going to be in the red. You hope the hygiene department's going at the same time for many of the things we do as we start pointing this out because you're not profitable on that. Do you see the problem, my friends? If you look at your top 20 procedures, you need to see if the reimbursement level both for fee-for-service, because some of you are upside down on your fee-for-service fees, both for fee-for-service and for PPO plans, it is if you're actually profitable in your practice on those numbers. That's how you've got to look at it. Most offices will do a crown in two hours of chair time. That includes from start of setup for the preparation of the tooth to the cleanup after cementation. You see, you've got to add in everything, preparation time, cementation time, and cleanup time. That's your, that's your entire cost of, of doing uh, business of a crown prep. If your DOC is $550 per, per hour, that's your burn rate, that means your overhead to produce that crown uh, uh, was $1,100. Uh, what was your reimbursement rate on the crown? If in two hours' time, again, take $550 of burn rate per hour, that's your direct operating cost per hour, and it takes you two hours, 550 times two, $1,100. What was your reimbursement rate on that crown? <laughs> Uh-oh. Did hygiene have to be going at the same time just to break even or make a slight profit? If you're upside down on too many procedures, guess who gets the salary decrease to cover 
all of your lost leaders, meaning all of your all of your non-profitable events. That's right. Remember, when you figured out your DOC per hour, you were also including your salary doc. But if you're upside down, it comes out of your salary. Obviously, it doesn't come out of the teams. Most crown reimbursement rates are well under $1,100. During that two-hour appointment, you more than likely needed... You need to have three hygiene appointments happening at the same time just to be profitable. Is all this beginning to make sense, or or is it actually causing you heartburn? I know it did for me for year, did for me years ago as I started looking at at all my profitability margins on all the things we did. You see, many times we'll sign up for uh, PPO plans, and the first thing we look at is what's the crown reimbursement rate. What is that crown reimbursement rate? See, we always look at that, but we don't look at all the other reimbursement rates, and that becomes a problem. And I'll just throw this in here. It it just makes me sick inside. Panel reimbursements used to be $110 on the average. Now they've cut in half or less over time. Do you see, if we're not looking at every code we're, and, and we, we don't look to see if we're profitable on the things we do, that becomes a problem. This is precisely why I do not set my fee-for-service fees based on any type of fee survey. Think about that for a minute. You have hundreds of dentists in those fee surveys in your areas who have set their fees based on zero business principles of profit and loss. Talk about the blind leading the blind. This is why it's mission critical to set your fees based upon your direct operating cost per hour. So just so we're on the same page, there are no businesses out there in the USA that I'm aware of who provide products and services as non-profitable events unless they're a nonprofit entity, which is what insurances are trying to turn us into. Okay, this is, and unless, of course, you're talking about dentistry, then we do things for free all the time, right? So the question becomes, does increased case acceptance as propagated and advertised by various training groups really increase net revenues, or does it just increase gross production? The answer should be a little more enlightening to all of you today after listening to this podcast. Case acceptance means nothing if you're not profitable. What it does mean is you can now work a lot harder as your team packs in the schedule, right? It means you will have a small bump in net revenue as you work your your back into painful situations and striations of, 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 oh, my lower back's killing me and all for the sake of increased case acceptance. This is the only time you will see me admit to the syndrome I have talked about forever, the syndrome we see team members suffer from when we teach them sound business principles that they choose not to do. You know it. It's called the Unindy syndrome. And if I'm not profitable on every procedure I do, that syndrome automatically takes over in my brain. And it stands for yeah, no, I'm not doing it. That's the only time the Unindy syndrome is allowed in any of our practices, is if we're not profitable, we shouldn't be doing it. We need to figure out ways to be profitable. 
And there are ways to be profitable on most everything we do and to get paid for what we do in a fair manner. Implants, fixed bridges are the only two procedures general dentists are routinely profitable on outside of ortho. The rest of dentistry is a crapshoot of actual profitability. Dentists and their teams who participate in our training become profitable on nearly all procedures they do. Dentists should never, you and I, should never settle for anything less. We've worked hard to get where we are today, and we all deserve to be paid fairly for the services that we provide. So, Doc, go through that exercise and look at your DOC per hour, look at your top 20, 30 procedures you're doing, and really take a close look and see if you are profitable on the procedures you're doing. And if you're not, give us a call. Sign up for our training. We're happy to help you become profitable in dentistry. Yes, our tagline, you can reclaim forgotten profitability in dentistry again. You just have to know how to look for it. Thank you so much for tuning into the My Practice, My Business podcast. You can find additional podcasts you may have missed that will help you with your dental practice at Apple iTunes Podcasts. And remember to become a subscriber to our podcast. Many of you have asked how to help support the My Practice, My Business podcast. If you have enjoyed the program and information you received today, the best way to help is to leave us a five-star review. Thanks again for allowing us to be a part of your day.